0: Basketball fan, I've been watching the uh, Blazers in the playoffs. I'm pretty happy about where we're at right now. There you go. We live in uh, we live in in, the, in terms of the kind of major league sports, pro sports world. We live in what's called a small market. Small market means basically that we are not L.A., New York, Philly, or Dallas. That uh, is a little smaller pool. Of ticket sales and revenue and so on and so forth. Uh, but the upside, the cool part about that is being in a small city, uh, you, you, there's a tendency to bump into players around town. Uh, I don't know, probably many of you, I, we've run into uh, different Trailblazers players in different places on a number of occasions. Uh, some of you have probably as well. Former uh, Blazer, Brian Grant, he used to live right here on Bull Mountain, just about a mile from here. And I would see him in Starbucks all the time. Uh, so it's interesting, and, and the reason I bring this up is that when someone famous walks into a room, the whole atmosphere changes. You ever notice that? Uh, I'm, I'm in Starbucks down here on Durman 99, which is a small Starbucks, by the way. It's a fairly, fairly small little room. Uh, you know, I'm ordering my Americano and talking to the barista, couple people are in line, you know, they're scrolling through their phones, whatever. Brian Grant walks in. And all of a sudden, it just changes the atmosphere. It's just, first of all, it's quiet. Like, and, and they're kind of like, okay, what do I do? Do I, you know, come over here, go there? Now, Admittedly, okay, look, at, let's be honest. He's a six-foot-nine black guy with dreadlocks. So he doesn't look like everybody else in there. But nonetheless... There's a definite sense of something is happening right now, something different. This is this is this is a unique situation. When uh when Jesus showed up in the 1st century and began to go from place to place, ministering to people, healing people, he changed the atmosphere. When Jesus went into a place, people dropped what they were doing and they would want to get close and listen in and see what's he going to do next what does he have to say maybe I can get a selfie with him well I don't know if anybody wanted to get a selfie with Jesus they probably wanted to but they didn't know that they did thank you the problem though there was an issue the issue was that Jesus kept showing up at all the wrong places and hanging out with all the wrong people Um, he had been spotted numerous times uh, with a very questionable crowd. We've been looking through the gospel of Luke over the last few months. We took a short break for Palm Sunday and Easter for our relaunch. But prior to that, the last time we were in Luke in chapter 5, Jesus was at a party with some tax collectors and some sinners. And those were bad people. They were they were the wrong crowd to be with. Tax collectors were the enemy of the state. They had aligned themselves. They, they, they were Jewish people who had aligned themselves with the Roman Empire and were working to actually rip off their neighbors, and they were hated for that. And here's Jesus. He's just hanging out with them, having a good time. People were wondering, what's the deal? Who is this guy? Why? Is he spending time with those people? Jesus was not your typical religious leader, and frankly, there were a lot of questions about him there, there are There are some things we come to expect in life. Um, change is a constant, and we we, we become accustomed to change, uh, especially when it comes to Uh, The voices that are speaking into our culture, whether that be politically or in the media or whatever, because they change all the time. There's different people come and there's different voices and different perspectives and different ideas, and we sort of become accustomed to to all of that. But frankly, Jesus wasn't just another voice. Jesus really uh, was what I call and what is our title this morning, a whole new kind of new. I want to pray and then we're going to uh, continue... Our study in Luke chapter 5 this morning, and we'll be continuing on in in the gospel of Luke uh, again after this, but let's just uh, pray and and ask the Lord to speak into our hearts today. Lord, I pray you would open scripture to us this morning and that it really would cause us to reflect on who we are in you and uh, who you are to us and how we interact and what change and transformation means and what it is to walk in the newness and the freshness and the life that comes with you your name we pray, amen. All right, so verse uh, 33 of Luke. Jesus' critics questioned him. I'm reading again from the Passion Translation today. Jesus' critics questioned him. John the prophet is known for leading his disciples to frequently fast and pray. As religious leaders of the land, we do the same. Why do you and your disciples spend most of your time feasting at banquets? Jesus replied, should you make the sons of the bridal chamber fast while celebrating with the bridegroom? But when the bridegroom is taken away from them, then you will see fasting. So, there's some question about Jesus' behavior. His um, critics are drawing a contrast. Other spiritual people, we are the spiritual leaders, and we fast. This guy John the Baptist shows up. He's kind of a spiritual dude, and he and his disciples also fast. But now you're here, and we see you don't fast, you feast. What's what's going on? Fasting was a, a uh, spiritual discipline. Some of us have practiced that. Maybe you have. It's a discipline of hope and a discipline of expectation. So when you're fasting, you're looking ahead to God doing something you're praying and fasting, you're seeking God for him to move and to do something on your behalf or on someone's behalf. You're looking for something to take place. The, uh, the Pharisees who are the critics here were the religious leaders of the day. They were very spiritual people. They fasted twice every week, every Monday and every Thursday. It was part of their regular protocol to fast. Uh, As mentioned, John the Baptist showed up, and there were some people that were following him and connecting with him, and they, too, would practice fasting. Uh, But Jesus uh, had a little different approach. So they want uh, to they understand. They're asking, why, why are you not following the same protocol that we've always followed? And Jesus' response was, you're looking for something. You're fasting, hoping that God will do something. But what you're looking for is here. I'm actually the guy. It's time for the wedding. The fasting, the time for fasting is over. And I would say when Jesus comes into our life." Our life or our lives, things change. Things become different. Some, sometimes I think we can be a little bit like uh, some of those people in the first century in that change is so different and so radical, we're not really sure exactly how it fits and we can be a little bit hesitant to embrace it. You know, uh, just maybe you identify, Jesus, I want you to heal me, I want you to change me, I want you to deliver me, but only a little bit, okay? I want you, just change this part of me, but not this other part of me. Nothing embarrassing, please, no loud noises. Um, Nothing too radical, okay? I don't really want to be one of those Jesus freak people, so can you just change me a little bit? I'd like to be happier, maybe thinner, but that's all. Jesus brings a very different and new kind of new. He, um, he, he might very well change us in ways that we were not expecting him to change us. And maybe in ways that we were not uh, ready for him to change us in. He might make us more gracious I've known people who were fairly, uh, I don't know how to say this politely, tightwads. And came into relationship with Jesus and all of a sudden they became generous. People who become more patient when Jesus comes into their life. People who become less self-centered when Jesus comes into their life. Um, you know, and here's the thing. Let's just be honest about this. Tomorrow's new is newer than today's new. You can quote me on that. Tomorrow's new is newer than today's new. When we come into relationship with Jesus, we're continually changing, we're continually growing, we're continually moving deeper and deeper into uh, a different reality with him and in our life and in our, our how we live our lives in him all the time. Jesus tells a parable here to describe that. In verse 36, he says, he gave him this illustration. No one rips up a new garment to make patches for an old worn out one. If you tear up the new to make a patch for the old, it will not match the old garment. And who pours new wine into an old wineskin? If someone did the old wineskin would burst and the wine would be lost new wine must always be poured into new wineskins so uh we don't we don't really use wineskins our wine comes in a bottle or a box i suppose no judgment uh But then it was put into a wineskin, which is basically a bag made from an animal hide. And when wine ferments, it expands. And so if the wine was put in a new wineskin, there was elasticity in that wineskin, and it would expand with the wine, and all would be good. But if the wineskin was already used, it had already previously expanded, there was no elasticity left, so you pour the wine into that wineskin, and of course, it can't expand. The wine expands. The wineskin bursts party over. So... What does that mean for us? I want to make a couple of applications to this, and I want to make one uh, corporately, sort of to us as a body, and the second one individually for each of us as individuals. Corporately, I, I believe this. So we are at a, it's kind of a, a new skin, a new start for us. We relaunched last week, we changed our name, we have some new signs. But I have expectation for more than that. I don't believe this is about uh, logistics or a name. Or signage. I really think God is doing something different with us, that there is a spiritual dynamic to this change that we are going to see. And I really believe that we have the opportunity to embrace it or not. And, and I don't have a ton of insight, but I know this. So I, I think it's not limited to this church, I think it really has to do with our region, the region of the country we live in. So the name Cascade Vineyard came to us. We were tossing around different names, and then a friend of mine brought up uh, a story about Cascadia, which is really what we would call the Pacific Northwest. It's Oregon and Washington, but it kind of also includes Western Canada, you know, B.C. and and up in there. And, And so historically, perennially, and forever and ever, Washington and Oregon have been the two most unchurched states in the nation. Which is weird to me, because I think of places around the country, and it would seem as though other places, there would be a lower level of interest and a lower connection with, with spirituality with church, but it's always been, for as long as I know, uh, at least the time frame that we've lived here, uh, either Oregon is the first and Washington is second, or Washington is first and Oregon is second. They flip-flop, but it's always those two states. Um, and I really believe that God wants to breathe upon that. And I really do think there's going to be a sense of uh, people finding uh, belonging in churches where, that they didn't know they could find. I really think there's a, an expression of faith that I, I loved. I, mean, I don't want to embarrass you, but I love Kenny's testimony this morning because it was so authentic and so real. And I just think that there is an authenticity and a genuineness coming into the church that's going to be very, very refreshing, and that we get to be a part of that. Um, The other thing that's more specifically related to us as a fellowship is this. I really believe this is an opportunity for us to disconnect from some of the pain and the difficulty we've gone through in the past. And some of you are new, you've only been here a short time, and so you don't really, that doesn't mean anything to you, but others have been here for a long time, and you've been through some ups and downs with us. And I just think there's still been some residual kind of Uh, whatever left over from some of that. And I really believe that this is an opportunity for us to really completely disconnect and completely start fresh. It's a new beginning. It's it's a new wine skin for us, if you will. Um, And like I said, I don't know all that that entails, but I have a tremendous amount of hope for it. And I'm kind of excited. I think it's going to be fun. I really do. I think the next season for us is going to be a very fun time. On a personal level, um, when we talk about work of God and new things happening, we have a tendency as people, uh, sometimes, in in our spiritual growth, but in other ways as well, we're progressing, we're moving forward, and then you kind of hit a wall, you kind of get stuck, and you get stuck in this place, and you kind of want to change, you kind of want to keep going, but you also kind of don't, and you just sort of become comfortable where you are. Anybody relate to that at all? Uh, There's uh, some great philosophers, Pink Floyd said, that you become comfortably numb, and we can become comfortably numb. You just kind of, I don't, it's not a great place I'm in, but it's the place I'm in, and I'm kind of just okay with it. It's sort of like, this is just, just, I'll just be here. There are a couple of illustrations of people this happened to in the New Testament. One of them is in Matthew 19, and I want to take a look at that if we could. A teenager, uh, again, this is the Passion Translation, NIV says a young man, but uh, they say a teenager approached Jesus. They bowed before him saying, wonderful teacher, is there a good work I have to do to obtain eternal life? And Jesus answered, why would you call me wonderful? God alone is wonderful. Why would you ask what good work you need to do? Keep the commandments and you'll enter into the life of God. Which ones, he asked. Go ahead. Jesus said, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie. Honor your father and mother. Love those around you as you love yourself. But I've always obeyed every one of them without fail, the young man replied. What else do I lack? Go ahead, one more. Jesus said to him, If you really want to be perfect, go immediately and sell everything you own, give all your money to the poor, then your treasure will be transferred to heaven. Then come back and follow me for the rest of your life. When the young man heard these words, he walked away angry, for he was extremely wealthy. Okay, so here's a young guy who um, I think clearly comes from a wealthy family. He's a teenager and he has a lot of money, so chances are that he has not earned or worked for or accumulated that money. It's probably been in his family and it was handed to him, and in that, he's become accustomed to a a certain standard of living. He's kind of grown up in what we might call a privileged home and has sort of had what he wanted throughout his life. I I believe, and and again, I'm reading between the lines here a little bit and maybe giving him the benefit of the doubt, but I think he's sincere. I think he's coming to Jesus and asking genuine questions, and he really wants to follow Jesus. But then he finds out that to follow Jesus might involve some things that he's not prepared to do. It might mean making some changes that he's not willing to make, and it says that he went away angry. We don't know what happened to him. I've often, you know, I, I, some of those stories in scripture, I, I wish I knew. What happened to this guy? Did he stay angry? Did he get more angry? Or did the Holy Spirit convict his heart maybe down the road somewhere? Maybe he thought about Jesus' words. And maybe he turned around and came back. I don't know. There's another story that might be even a little more telling than this one. It's about uh, the Pool of Bethesda in John chapter five. This particular pool is a place uh, where people would gather for healing. And the story was, uh, John tells us, that the water in this pool would, from time to time, kind of bubble up. It would, it was like a jacuzzi. It would just sort of somebody would push the button and it would turn on. And when it turned on, the belief was that it was actually an angel of the Lord that was causing that to happen. And when that happened, not all the time, but just when that water was stirred, the first person to get into the pool would be healed. So let's look at John chapter 5 and a particular guy there. Here at this pool, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and he learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Uh, That's a weird question. I mean, okay, look. One, the guy's been sick for a long, long, long time. Two, he's at a place where people come to get healed. So to me, it seems kind of obvious that he wanted to get well. And yet Jesus asks him that very question. Do you want to get well? Let's look at his answer. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Now I... I think if I were in this guy's condition and Jesus said, do you want to get well? I would say, yes, yes, I want to get well. But he doesn't say, yes, I want to get well. He begins instead to list off the reasons why he can't get well. Anyone? There's so many reasons why I can't get well. The last verse of our initial text in Luke is pretty telling. Um, verse 39. After the um, story about the wineskins, Jesus concludes by saying, "The old you say the old ways are better. You refuse to even taste the new that I bring. The old ways are better. What's the vernacular of that? Well, this is the way we've always done it. Little theology. God is powerful. God is sovereign. God is in control. God has also designed us to have a choice in the matter. And it's ours to say yes, to the work of God in our lives. Jesus will come and present an opportunity for growth, an opportunity for healing, an opportunity for deliverance, but if we've become comfortably numb, if we've settled into that place where uh, we're just okay with the way things are, we may not respond to his invitation to get into the pool. And as we see, not everybody in, in Scripture responded Appropriately, The guy at the pool got healed. I think he got healed despite himself. I don't think he had much to do with it. I think Jesus just had compassion on him and healed him. The young man with the money went away mad, and we don't know if he ever came back or not. So there's an opportunity to say yes or an opportunity to walk away mad. Uh, here's And here's a couple things. Another thing happens um, sometimes. Um, we can also become a little bit overly enamored of the new. I, I've met a few folks who, it seems to me, are always looking for the next big thing, the next new thing. Um, new car. I've got to get the new flashy car. I've got a Perfectly good car, but that new one is so much nicer. I like that car. I want to change jobs. I want to change houses. I want to change spouses. I'll get a the new, newer, younger, hotter model. Maybe. Um. Now, when you translate that into contemporary Christian culture, this is what it looks like. We have what I affectionately refer to as conference junkies, and these are folks that sort of pop from place to place. Wanting to get Holy Ghost goosebumps, but not wanting to ever really move forward in any kind of legitimate relationship with Jesus and actually grow up. So the question becomes then how do we really walk in real transformation and not just pop about looking for the latest and the greatest thing? How do we enter into the new thing that Jesus has without always looking for the next new thing? So, a couple thoughts. One is, Challenge yourself a little bit. Recognize your own comfort zone. We all have uh, a comfort zone, a safety zone. I'm okay here. I'll go to church on Sunday. I'll go to home group twice a month. I will raise my hands a little bit, but that's it all. Nothing else. I want to encourage you to allow Jesus to begin to speak into your life and press your boundaries a little bit. And step out of your comfort zone. And this could be something really simple. I've, I've been with a couple people who... You know, in our home group, in probably most home groups, you have times for prayer. Our prayer meeting on Sunday, we have times for prayer. and People who have never prayed out loud in front of a group of people. And... In a group somewhere, one day, they did. It's always a fear. I'll say the wrong thing. I don't know how to pray. You won't say the wrong thing. Maybe it's just praying out loud. Maybe it's praying for someone for healing. Maybe you've never laid hands on somebody and asked God to bring healing to them, and that's a fearful thing for you to do. And you know what? I will validate those feelings. Uh, I've been doing that for 40 years, and guess what? It's a fearful thing to do every single time. But let God stretch your boundaries a little bit. Let him push you past that comfort zone. Maybe it's giving a word. Every now and then, you know, at the end of worship, somebody here will have a word for the for the group. And maybe you hear that and you go, wow, that's crazy. And maybe one week you're sitting there during worship and you have this thought, this idea that pops into your head and you think maybe God's speaking to me and you go, no, that can't be God, that can't be God. But then that thought won't go away. It keeps rolling around your head. You, you try to stop thinking about it. You can't stop thinking about it. It's really God and maybe God wants you to stand up and share that with the group. Maybe it's just sharing your faith. You have a coworker or a neighbor who's going through a hard time and they, they're opening up and telling you about it. You're standing there going, well, I could tell them about relationship with Jesus and what it means to have God in your life during those times and I don't know, that's a little bit scary, but maybe God's calling you to step out of that comfort on a little bit and just begin to stretch your boundaries a little bit. The flip side of that same equation is this, uh, and I think this one is also equally difficult, uh, is to just embrace the practice of waiting. You know, the, uh, the Vineyard Movement has its roots in the Quaker Church. I don't know if you guys knew that or not. But uh, in early Quaker meetings, the folks would gather together, and they would pray and ask the Lord to come, and then they would wait. They would just wait. And sometimes they would wait, and nothing would happen. Other times they would wait and God would speak through someone. They would have a word or sometimes someone would have a song or a prayer or read a scripture. Sometimes, as they were waiting on the Lord, they would begin to actually tremble and shake in the presence of God. That's where the name Quaker comes from. But here's the thing, and this is the beauty of it all, is they weren't necessarily looking for that to happen. There was no expected outcome. The expectation was we will wait on God and allow God to do what God wants to do with us and in us. And there's a there's really a beautiful thing in being willing to just wait and say, okay, Lord, it's up to you. It's up to you. We want you to do something new. Whatever it might be, whatever it looks like, it doesn't matter. You do what you want in my life, and we wait on him. I will tell you this. It is countercultural for us to be willing to wait. Because Everything in our culture it tells us to not wait. We want it and we want it now. We want our food fast, we want our coffee fast, we want to lose weight fast. Let's just ask the question. Okay, no, I'll just do a confession instead. Pull up to Starbucks on Sunday morning, there's all the spots are full. I drive away and go to the next Starbucks because I'm not going to wait that long for my coffee. There's another one just down the road. No, I'm serious. We want it now, don't we? We don't like to wait. I could go in. I could hang out. It's a nice environment. I could talk to the nice people in line. But I don't want to do that because I'll have to wait for five minutes for my coffee. And I get it. There's so much distraction in our life. There's so much distraction want to watch a playoff game, so you're going to go to a local sports bar and watch a playoff game, and there's 47 screens. I don't know even which one to look at. So I'll go home and watch, because that's a lot easier, but there's 500 channels, and it takes me forever to just figure out which one the game is even on. There's so many distractions. There's so much to fill our minds and our hearts and our time. So here's my parting shot. If you guys want to come back up, you can. Uh, maybe, just maybe. Turn it all off. Not all the time, just for a little while. Yes, your phone. Turn it all off. Just take time out. Time out. For the next whatever. You you might have to work your way up. Five minutes. 30 minutes. Next hour. I'm, I'm going to wait. I'm going to just, I'm going to, pray, I'm going to walk, I'm going to read it, I'm going to turn all the electronics off, I'm going to turn everything off, I'm going to turn all the simulation. I'm not going to let any outside influence affect me, I'm just going to wait in the presence of God for a little while and see what God has to say to me. You can't put new wine in old wineskins, and I, uh, I think you also can't define what the new wine looks like. We, 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 we want to be in control, but sometimes we need to just allow ourselves to enter into what God has for us. And when that happens, we can embrace it, we can hang on to it, or uh, we can just turn away from it. So let's just stand and worship for a minute or two this morning as we close, and um, just allow God to speak into your life. See what he wants to do. Thanks again for listening.